Good morning, First Baptist Church of Greg Gables. I hope you're all having a marvelous week. We miss you all. Thank you so much for tuning into our online service. This morning, we are going to attempt to tie some things together in First Thessalonians chapter 1. We've really been all over the place in chapter 1 and in a little bit of chapter 2 over the last roughly eight weeks. So this morning, what we're really going to examine is we are going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul's thankfulness and gratitude for the progress of the gospel. That's the title of this sermon, the progress of the gospel. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 1 in its entirety, and then we are going to pray and jump right in. So hopefully you've got your Bibles out, you're with your family, and and you actually have your Bibles reading together, and let's read this chapter one more time. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you join me in asking the Lord's blessing over our service and sermon this morning? Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for your holy and inspired word. We thank you for the Bible. Father, we ask that you would be pleased to meet with us, your people, by the power of your Spirit, that you would grant us much grace as we hear your word. Uh, Lord, grace in hearing it, grace in speaking to one another about it, grace in understanding, and grace for uh, applying your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 13, most of you are aware that Jesus illustrated the growth of the kingdom like this. He says this in Matthew 13, 31 through 33. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches." Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. 
Uh, These parables describe the actual events that Paul is giving thanks for here in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Remember, Jesus explained uh, the advance of the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel was a gradual progression. Uh, Just as seed grows over time to become a large plant, or just as leaven slowly works through a whole lump of dough, so also the gospel progresses. The progression of the gospel is the very ground for which Paul is giving thanks in this text. And so we're going to consider that this morning under really three headings. Uh, If you're a note taker, you can go ahead and open up uh, the note section on our uh, This Sunday at Gray Gables uh, portion of the online service and you will see you have a lot of notes that you can take. And so uh, let's go ahead and get started with the first heading we're going to examine Paul's thankfulness for the progression of the gospel is the gospel preached. The gospel was preached. And I specifically, as we look at these headings, want to answer two questions, the who and the what. Uh, So the who and the what in regards to this, in our text, the gospel preached. The who. Who was doing the preaching? Well, we know from the opening words of this verse, it was Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. Well, we already met Paul, right? Remember, we met him in the very first sermon in this series. We took a detailed look at Paul. We saw how Paul was a proud persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord changed his heart. Paul became a conquered convert as Christ conquered his heart, his rebellious heart on the road to Damascus. And then God, uh, Christ called Paul to be a messenger of the Messiah. That is who we find writing this letter here in 1 Thessalonians. The messenger of Christ who was sent all throughout Galatia, Asia, into Macedonia and beyond proclaiming the good news. That Jesus Christ had suffered, that he had died and was raised again. But he's not the only one mentioned here as the author of this letter. We also meet Silas and Timothy. It's important to note that Paul never really worked as a lone wolf. From the very beginning, he always had a ministry partner. In his first missionary journey, he took with him Barnabas and John Mark. Uh, In fact, Barnabas and Paul end up splitting over a disagreement to allow John Mark to come uh, to the second missionary journey because he had abandoned them on the first missionary journey a little less than halfway through. Barnabas wanted to take take John Mark on the second missionary journey. Paul did not. So Barnabas went his own way with John Mark and Paul picked up a new ministry partner and his name was Silas. Uh, We don't know much about Silas, but we do know he was a prominent member of the church of Jerusalem. We see him there in Acts 15. And then on the second missionary journey, he's with Paul as they go through the churches. Um, And they visit the churches that were initially planted by Paul. They walk through and they minister to them. Well, in Lystra, uh, Paul meets Timothy and decides to take him also. That's the who here. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul and Timothy have a wonderful, unique relationship in the Bible. He treats him as a son in the faith. And so these are the ones who are here, who came to Thessalonica, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the who. Uh, Who preached the message? Well, now let's look at the what. 
what was the message that they preached? Uh, what was the message that they preached? Well, when necessary, we would know, first off, that Paul would start at the very beginning. Anytime Paul preached, the message he preached, he would start specifically when necessary at the very beginning. And what I mean by when necessary is when the audience did not have a background of the Old Testament. That's when he would be inclined to start from the very beginning. We see that when he's preaching at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. Uh, he begins there with the doctrine of God. He begins speaking the doctrine of God. Luke records uh, this, these words in Acts 17 verse 24. He says, God, he's speaking to Gentiles. Remember, they had no knowledge of God, no background of the Old Testament. This is what he's uh, talking to them about. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands, nor is he uh, worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far off from each one of us. Paul tells these people that they were created to worship a transcendent God who is not far from each of them. And he goes on to say that God is calling all people to repent. And the reason he's doing that is because they have not sought him as they were created to do. It's what Paul would begin to write in Romans chapter 3 that we know very well. That there is none righteous. There is no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God, they've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they practice deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their way, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Actually, what's interesting is most of those quotes in Romans 3, Paul's referring to God's chosen people and not even the Gentiles. That's how bad it is. That's how uh, bad this situation is, which leads us to the second thing Paul would preach in his message. And that is not only would he start the very beginning with God, but when we see the holiness of God, we know too that judgment is coming. Uh, he would preach that judgment is coming. There is a holy God who has created people to seek him, who's created people to worship him. Uh, these people, each and every one of them, down to the very last man, has rejected God, uh, has gone their own way. And so because of that, judgment is coming. In Acts 17 verse 31, uh, Paul says, He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the men which he has ordained. So let's just think about that, right? There's one true and living God. He's created all things. He takes care of all things for a purpose. That purpose is so that they might enjoy him, honor him, and bring glory to him forever. So he ordained each person's place of residence, uh, the days that they should live for the purpose of seeking, loving, and worshiping him. But no one has sought him. And so what will the righteous judge do when he shall return to the earth? 
he will pour out his awesome and terrible wrath. Now, that's not the gospel, right? Listen, I want you to hear this. It was necessary for Paul to proclaim that before he could proclaim the good news, but that's not the entire gospel. In fact, where we're at right now, and the fact that we're starting with the very beginning of the doctrine of God and the understanding that judgment is coming, that's actually very bad news for everyone who's listening to this. If the story ended there, friends, we'd have no hope. But praise be to God that that Paul came proclaiming good news. And so what is that good news? Well, the good news, if I could break it down for us to be easy for us to remember, I want to put it this way. Paul preached a person, a gift, and a response. I'll say that again. Paul preached a person, a gift, and a response. And so we'll go ahead and start with the person. Who is the person that Paul preached? Well, that's easy. The person was Christ. Paul preached Christ. We find him in Thessalonica explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer. He had to be a propitiation for man's sin. He had to satisfy the divine wrath and justice which is coming for those who might be saved. If, if he doesn't then, that wrath is still coming and people will perish because of their sin. The Christ had to suffer. He proclaimed the death of Christ, the the life of Christ, his perfect life, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. His message was Christ. It's that simple. We proclaim Christ. Christ is the good news. Christ came. He lived according to God's perfect will. At the end of his life, having lived a perfectly righteous life, having earned the blessing of the covenant, he allowed himself to be hung on a tree that he might receive in himself the judgment of that covenant, the curse of that covenant, judgment and wrath. Well, did God accept his sacrifice? Praise be to God. Yes, we know because he was raised on the third day. Because he was raised, we are justified. The sacrifice is accepted. Now, all those who trust in him will have life. They will have forgiveness of sins. Which leads us from the person who is Christ. Paul preached Christ. The person was Christ into the gift. Uh, The person is Christ. What is the gift? The gift is pardon in power. Pardon for all of our sins and power to live now and into the future. The gift is pardon and power. In Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 39, Paul is preaching there and he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So we see justification. We see pardon. The gift that was proclaimed can really be boiled down to these two aspects, pardon for sin and power to live for Christ. That is the gift we've been given in salvation. But not only did Paul preach the person who was Christ and the gift that was pardon and power, Paul also preached a response. There was a necessary response. In fact, the gospel always gets a response. There is never a time When someone hears the gospel and they don't either reject it or accept it. 
Not accepting it is rejecting it. And so Paul preached the response. And what was the response? The response was repentance and faith. The response was repentance and faith. And so Paul was recorded as telling the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 through 21. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, what? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the response that Paul looked for when he preached. He wanted to set aside any attempt to merit anything before God. He wanted to recognize that we come to Christ, we come before him empty-handed, and we trust in him completely for salvation. Of course, you can't come to Christ without turning first from your idols. We understand that. Faith and repentance are really two sides of the same coin. No one has faith without repentance and no one repents without faith. And so that is the gospel that was preached. This is the word that was proclaimed in power in the Holy Spirit with much assurance. And and Paul reminds the Thessalonians, he says, you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You remember how we brought this message to you. You remember what this message was. You remember how we proclaimed it. You remember how we lived in light of it. And then he says in verse 6, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So not only now do we see that the gospel was preached, we go to our second heading as we see Paul's gratitude and thankfulness for the progress of the gospel. And we see that the gospel was received. Not only was the gospel preached, but the gospel was received. Again, we're going to look at the who and the what here. The who and the what? Who received the gospel? Well, obviously, the easy answer would be the church of Thessalonica. But when we turn over to Acts 17 and we read the context of this church, we see that first, actually, the Jews received the message. Uh, some Jews were persuaded. It says, remember, Paul started in the synagogue. He preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. And it says the Jews received the message. We also see devout Greeks those who feared God, to be more specific. Uh, these people were Gentiles who did not accept circumcision, devout Greeks. They, they did not adhere to the law of Moses in its entirety. They usually did not follow even the food restrictions. They really comprised a separate community in the eyes of the Jews. They were still unclean, and yet they could and would attend the synagogue meetings. Uh, They held an affinity with the Jews. They believed much of their message and proclaimed to love their God. But there uh, was also a third group that's not mentioned specifically in Acts chapter 17. We meet them later in the letter to the Thessalonians. Really, we would call them unashamed, uh, unashamed, abashed idolaters, uh, pagans. Paul writes in verse 9 how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He's referring to those who had actually been converted from paganism. And and think about this, Thessalonica was not short on idols or deities. There were over 20 deities that have been found in archaeological studies in that city of Thessalonica. It was a very 
pluralistic culture. They believed in the more gods and idols and deities, the merrier. They worshiped the entire Greco-Roman pantheon of gods. There, there was a temple to the imperial cult. And so Paul wrote that they thank God, not because Jesus was added to the Thessalonian pantheon, but that the believers in Thessalonica had turned to God from idols. And that's really the what in the receiving the message. Uh, how did they receive the message? What was the effect of the message that they received? The effect was that they turned from God, uh, turn to God from idols. All of them. This is the effect of the gospel when it's received. They turn to God from idols. The Thessalonians no longer celebrated the feast of Dionysus with ecstatic dancing and drunkenness. No. They celebrated the feast of the Lamb, the Lord's Supper with humility and gratitude. They no longer offered lavish and expensive gifts to Serapis or Isis. They offered their bodies as living sacrifices to God the Father. They no longer committed their fealty to the imperial cult. They submitted every other loyalty to their allegiance to Jesus Christ. They served the living and true God. They waited for his son from heaven. Their hope was not in Rome or the emperor or any of the other various deities they used to seek for help their hope was in the Son from heaven, the one to whom all power and authority had been given. Uh, these former pagan people were now waiting together for the Jewish Messiah who had come, who had suffered, who had died, who had raised on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Their faith was not idle, though. We remember that. It was producing works just as their love was prompting labor and their hope was causing patience even in the midst of much affliction. This is how they received the gospel. But as we see, the gospel wasn't just preached. Gospel was not just received. We're going to see the third heading by which Paul is giving thanks for the progression of the gospel, and that is the gospel spread. This is the, the beautiful part, really, about this text, is that the gospel spread. Uh, it began to, to spread everywhere. And really, this is the part we haven't quite covered as much yet. And so I want you to take uh, a look with me at verses 7 through 10. And let's read this together. It says, So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith in God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God uh, from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right, well, let's kind of stick with the who and the what here, except we're kind of going to have to change them a little bit to really the where and the how. But uh, under the same premise, the who, really, again, it'd be really more appropriate to say where. Uh, where did the gospel spread? Well, we see that in our text. It says the gospel spread to Macedonia and Achaia and even beyond. Macedonia, Achaia, and beyond, which would be around modern-day Greece and further beyond that. 
The word of the Lord has sounded forth, he says. Your faith has been made known in these places. In every place that Paul went, he says, he's heard about the effect of the gospel and the progress of the gospel in those places. So now let's look at the what. Specifically, how did this happen? How did the gospel spread? How did the gospel come from Thessalonica? It's like Paul came and and flipped on a switch in Thessalonica, and then all of Macedonia and Achaia lit up. And what's amazing about this is Paul's not writing this 10 years later. He is writing this less than a year later, saying, listen, in Macedonia, in Achaia, Everywhere we go, we are meeting people who have heard of you guys in Thessalonica. That's an incredible witness to the gospel. So what happened? How did this happen? First, I think it's providentially worth noting that Thessalonica is a significant city. Thessalonica is a significant city. Uh, Geographically, it's located in a very strategic place. It was conveniently located. It was an an incredible port city. Not only did it have the port to boast of, but it was was directly on the largest east-west road in Macedonia. Uh, Thessalonica was really a hub where people were coming and going all the time. In and out, trading, selling, buying, doing business of all types. And so, listen, by God's good providence, the gospel took root in this place. So when Paul wrote, the word sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, he's not exaggerating. These aren't words of flattery to make them feel better. He means literally. This gospel is going everywhere from you. This is like a grease fire that someone's thrown water on. And my my point really is this, and I want you to think about this, church. My, My point is, this is not, the gospel is spreading here, not because of the work of missionaries. This is simply the effect of full-time Christians serving the true and living God in their day-to-day lives. I think we often underestimate the reality of how the gospel actually spread. Yes, Paul and others went proclaiming the gospel and the Lord used them mightily in their mission work. Many were converted, but but how many were converted before they moved on? And what do we see? We see even though some were converted before they moved on, we see then that the gospel continued to grow and to spread even after they left. It spread like yeast through dough. It would not stop. And so allow me to point out what I think Scripture reveals about four specific characteristics of these Christians in the church of Thessalonica that contributed to this gospel spread. I want to point out four specific attributes of these Christians in the church of Thessalonica that I really believe contributed to this type of spread. First, I want to look at their fellowship. First, their fellowship. We've already seen that the church was made up of Jews and God-fearers, people of prominence and influence, pagans even. We, we may assume that there were also some who came from a seedier part of town. They were all fellowshipping together. 
slave and free, Greek and Jew, learned and simple. They were coming together for this one reason and one reason only. They had heard the message and believed the Messiah. They rested in him for salvation. So now, in a church service, a slave was sitting next to his master. When they gathered before the Lord, there was no slave or master. They were simply brother and brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their relationships were transformed. Can you imagine a culture looking in on this motley crew of a fellowship? You would be dying to know what is going on in that place. I mean... Listen, Jeff, I I don't mean to be judging you, but I've noticed you getting a little friendly with your slave there. I mean, you guys are hugging, having table fellowship. What is up with that? Or maybe some of the prominent ladies are hanging out with some of the ladies from the seedier part of town. What would happen? People would begin to talk. The fellowship itself would beg the question, what in the world could bring together these people from such diverse backgrounds? And Christ is the answer. What a glorious opportunity to proclaim Christ. And so their fellowship contributed to the spread of the gospel. Second, I believe their transformed character contributed to the spread of the gospel. Their transformed character. Listen, those of us who know we merit nothing before the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we stumble over this. Uh, The reality is, though, that we are transformed. If you are saved, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot live the way you used to live. That doesn't mean that transformation isn't slow and painful oftentimes, but there is transformation. So those who are attending the drunken feast stop showing up for the drunken feast. Those who participated in temple prostitution, they no longer participated in those things. Those who used to take advantage of their patrons or their servants, they came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and began to treat people with love, joy, patience, gentleness, and and kindness. Always? No. (laughs) But they were a transformed people. There was a transformation of character, the conformity to Christ that the Thessalonian church pursued, it testified to the power of the gospel. Third, the third attribute that contributed to the spread of the gospel, I believe, was their joy. Their joy. Their joy was evidence that the message was authentic. Right? He even says in the text, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That joy that permeated through their lives, it bore witness to the hope that they had. We think life is hard, and listen, it is at times, but these people lived in a society where death was sport, prostitution was religious, and power was consolidated. Reasons for deep and abiding joy were rare. Just having food to eat the next day was a reason to celebrate for some. And yet in Christ, they found abiding, profound, and inexpressible joy that possessed the rest of their life. The gospel offered and does offer real and abiding joy and that attributed um, to the spread of the gospel. Fourth, I think the fourth attribute we find that contributed to the spread of the gospel was their perseverance. Their perseverance was strong evidence for the truthfulness 
of the gospel. The Thessalonians suffered, and in their suffering, they bore witness to the ability of their Lord and Savior to preserve them in the midst of much affliction. This was and is one of the most powerful witnesses to the truth of the gospel. The reality is when you combine suffering with joy, you shut the mouths of naysayers. People can have all kinds of arguments, all sorts of arguments against Christianity, but when they encounter true affliction and see endurance with joy, you won't find many people who are able to argue against that. Now listen, I want to say something about these four attributes. I'm not saying that these are four things we need to do in order to share the gospel. Diverse fellowship, being transformed to the image of Christ, abiding joy and perseverance aren't things you need to do in order to share the gospel. These are simply marks of true believers. They are effective witnesses of the truth of our faith. When they are present, people notice. When they're present, people are drawn to ask about the hope that we have. Don't miss this, though. The Thessalonians live lives who, that may have bore witness to it, but ultimately, it was the word of the Lord that sounded forth from them, and that word was a word. <laughs> The gospel was preached. It doesn't matter how diverse our fellowship is, how much we conform to Christ, how much joy we express, or how much suffering we persevere through. If we don't tell people about Jesus Christ, they don't hear the gospel. No matter how much our lives have been influenced and impacted by the gospel. If we don't proclaim it, they don't hear it. And if they don't hear it, they can't be saved. And so when Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they arrived in different towns in Macedonia and Achaia, people from all over the world would tell them, yes, about the ministry in Thessalonica, how you preach the gospel there in the midst of conflict boldly, how the gospel was received by the Thessalonians. And praise be to God, Paul, I'm actually your brother now. I believe in Jesus also. I have been following the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel was preached, the gospel was received, and the gospel spread. But as you know, we have one more thing we need to do. One more who and what here, and I'll be briefish. It's time for the application. We have to look at the application. The who in the application is obviously us. Listen, you know the pastor is not done until it's applied to us. The who is us. Here is the what. You can actually come up with your own list, but here's mine. When I think of how do we apply this progress of the gospel to our own lives, uh, how do we live our lives according to this text, I think first and foremost, I would say thanksgiving. Uh, thanksgiving, we give thanks. You just hear this word and, and gratitude and thanksgiving should come forth from your heart. Why? Why should I be thankful? Why should I have thanksgiving? Because you are here today listening to this because of the progress of the gospel. The progression of the gospel has caused you to be here today. If you are hearing this and you belong to Jesus Christ, you are here because the gospel has so transformed people over the centuries that they had to speak of Christ, even here at First Baptist Church, Gray Gables. 
So we, we give thanks when we hear this text. We leave this place this morning, this afternoon with thanksgiving in our hearts. Second, I would say there's a call for us uh, to consider prayer as an application. And here's why. I, I think we need to consider prayer here. I'm convinced more and more that what we don't need is programs to reach our community. Uh, don't get me wrong. We could fill this place in no time if we just came up with some good programs, especially lots of programs for our teens and kids. It's actually what most people are probably looking for. But listen, I'm personally and deeply convicted that, that what we actually need is to faithfully, consistently, and persistently pray for a fellowship that is diverse, that is sincere, that represents a real love for one another that is grounded in nothing less than the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts through the work of his Holy Spirit. We pray for a fellowship that's diverse. We pray for an ever-increasing conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for that persistently. We pray for a deep and abiding joy in the midst of persecution or any type of suffering. And if you're going to have those four attributes, which I still believe would contribute to a spread of the gospel, if you're going to have, to, if you're going to have that, you're going to have to pray consistently. Third, I think another thing we need to do is we need to drink deep from the well of gospel truth. We need to drink deep from the well of gospel truth truth if you belong to Christ you have heard and received the gospel church then we need to return daily to the fount of every spiritual blessing and drink deep from his rivers of living water we need to cultivate an ever-growing awe for the glory of the gospel and the majestic beauty of our God we need to read study, meditate on, memorize, discuss, wonder at, and pray His holy word. We need to cultivate a deeping, deeper longing for the word, to strive to let go of our fleshly dependence on creaturely comforts and find our dependence on Him in His word. Finally, last one, and I'll let you go. Finally, we need to live bold, passionate lives full of truth and beauty. We need to live full, uh, bold, passionate lives, excuse me, full of truth and beauty. Bold, passionate lives full of truth and beauty. I want us to be a people of passion. Does that mean we have to be a people of passion without any sort of self-control? Um, no, we need to have self-control, certainly. But I really, more than anything, I want us to be passionate about what God is passionate about. Uh, passionate about the glory of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Passionate about His love for people. Passionate about these things. To live for the truth and beauty that we see in Him. To, to make people hunger for what we have. They can't hunger for it if we ourselves do not hunger for it. We are citizens of the future, church. Let's live like it. The tree will grow from the mustard seed into the tree that the birds will come and nest in. The yeast will spread through the whole lump of dough by God's grace. Uh, my heart's desire is that we, by our lives and by our message, 
would be a means towards that inevitable end. Would you, would you consider this, these four application points with me this week? Look at your life and see whether or not uh, um, the understanding of the progression of the gospel, that God has been faithful uh, to spread his gospel, to spread his kingdom, does that cause your heart to be thankful? Do you live as a, as a thankful human being? Does it drive you to pray and pray for a diverse fellowship and, 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 and pray for, for all of these things that we've considered already? To pray for a transformation to the Lord Jesus Christ and pray for joy in the midst of suffering and perseverance? Uh, can you join me in, in admitting that we need to drink deep from the well of gospel truth and we need to have a deeper love for God's word and the things of his word and that and finally, because of that, we would live bold, passionate lives full of truth and beauty. Would you join me in examining our hearts and seeing if this is true for us? See, we, we've missed it. Sometimes we feel like the, the gospel is not progressing in our society because we just don't preach good enough or have enough programs or we're not attractional enough. But friends, the best way for the gospel to spread is when People, men and women, start living their lives for the glory of King Jesus. It's how he spreads his gospel through the means of our telling, our proclamation of him. And so we are in desperate need of that in our day and age. Would you join me in that fight together? We would be image bearers of the Lord in this way. I'm praying that you would. Let's go together and ask the Lord for his blessing. Gracious Father, Lord, we do thank you for the gospel that has sounded forth from those faithful men who your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, chose to carry that message to the ends of the earth. To those who received the message, those who continued to live in a manner which authenticated that message. They continued to proclaim that message with great joy, who told all about the freedom and the peace that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would live in light of the knowledge of the progression of the gospel. That it continues to sound forth through us. Lord, would you help us to be faithful in this particular way? Would you help us, Lord, by your grace to be bold and to live in such a way that, Lord, that people ask for the reason of the hope that we have. That we might point them to Christ your Son that you might be honored and glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church family, for listening this, this morning, and maybe you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never heard this message that was preached in this way, and you heard today about how Christ suffered, he lived a perfect life, he died, and he was raised again, now ascended to the right hand of Father. And, and your response to that is repentance and faith. Uh, we We'd love to answer any questions you might have about the gospel. If the Lord's convicting you and moving your heart in this way, please reach out to myself or Pastor Justin or any one of our deacons. We'd love the opportunity to share the gospel with you. But church family, for us, the application is clear. What part are we playing in the progression of the gospel? This is God's work, yes, but he's decided to use us as his church to be the means by which we proclaim his gospel and he wins souls to himself. And so what... What part are we playing in the progression of the gospel? I pray the word deeply convicts you, and I pray that we'd all join together in repenting and striving to live for Christ in this particular way. I love you, church family. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.